0: You guys, so every once in a while, um, I feel like I start that off whenever I have a guest. Let's let's try it another way. Uh, uh, this show uh, is an advice show, and it's a funny show, and it's all about talking about problems. And I've said this over and over again. I am not qualified. I don't have a degree in any sort of psychological uh, disorder. I'm not a doctor. I mean, I kind of am. No. Uh, but today, we have... We have a doctor. I guess, you're, are you a doctor or a scientist? Can I say?
1: No, d- no, I'm a I'm a researcher. I'm a behavioral scientist.
0: Okay, I thought for a second. I was like, I don't think he's a doctor. You guys, with me is John Levy. He's a behavioral scientist. He's the author of the 2AM Principle, Discover the Science of Adventure. And he's a very famous behavioral scientist who gives lots of lectures about why people do the things that they do. And as a comedian, as a, as a student of society and our sociology, I always want to know things and... And we can get into how he and I met, but John, welcome to Ask Eliza Anything.
1: I'm so excited. Normally, I have to answer just like marketing questions. Yeah. <laughs> and now I get to flex my muscles on things like boyfriends and girlfriends and annoying in-laws. Oh, you've come so to the place. finally, like a good use. Yeah.
0: I was yes. I was going through the questions and I'm like, everybody, all everybody has a question about is their boyfriend, their girlfriend. And in my mind, I'm like, you're 23. Who cares about your boyfriend? But people have hearts. <laughs> they have minds. They have in-laws. Uh, and they, they have a lot of questions. We got a lot of questions. So I've done my best to pare them down so that we don't have any redundancies um the first question i think will make your day the first question comes from our friend nia verdalos she says my question is john how much do you miss me that's right we have a celebrity friend in common
1: so uh i would have to say probably like a 97.3 to be as scientific as possible uh <laughs> out on a scale of like 1 to 20 i mean like nia is the most lovely human being you could ever meet and uh and so i miss you nia i hope you're listening and uh I hope we get to hang out soon. We'll
0: have to tag her. Uh, Nia Verdalis, you guys, who uh, created my Big Fat Greek Wedding. Everybody loves that movie. And everybody loves... Uh, Second most important question, and then we'll get into it. Dax is a name, says, my first question is, how did you and Eliza cross paths? Was Eliza invited to one of your dinners? What meal did y'all make together? Let me... I'll let you answer that, but I do want to say, John is known for... He puts together these dinners. Um... I guess they're in New York and LA or not anymore at least,
1: but... uh, They're in 10 cities in theory uh, and three countries, but I haven't done an in-person dinner in months and months at this point. And
0: how people can look these up because I feel like the New York Times wrote about it, right? It's called... What's it called? The
1: Influencer's Dinner. The
0: Influencer's Dinner. And I was in New York this... It's like our year anniversary. I was in New York this time last year shooting the Eliza Schlesinger Schlesinger sketch show. Wow. Um, And I got this invite. I never get invited to cool stuff. And I was like, yes, I will be there. I took a car. I went to the wrong address. I was late. I arrived. And <laughs> yes, that's right. do you want to tell them what it is or you tell them what it is? Because I think yeah, this, yeah, I think sure. if more people so, did this, more people would, uh, would learn things.
1: <laughs> so the, one of the things that really matters to me a ton and to get like into super geeky science is, uh, is bringing people together. And uh, the reason is I came across this crazy scientific study a few years ago. It was probably like 12, 13 years ago. And it talked about the obesity epidemic and it asked, does obesity spread like coronavirus from person to person or is it a percentage of the population? Oh, And what they found was completely insane. That if I have an obese friend, my chances of obesity increases by 45%. What? And my friends who don't know that person, yeah, insanity. Wait, so if I have two fat
0: friends, that's 100%. (laughs) <laughs> That's almost no, 100%. No, no, it I'll be fat. Like okay.
1: No, it's, it's an increase. It means that your chances are higher by that much. Uh, not that you have a 45% <laughs> chance, chance of being obese. So uh, essentially what's even weirder is that my friends who don't know that person have a 20% increased chance and their friends have a 5% increased chance. And things like happiness, marriage and divorce rates, smoking habits pass through our networks. Right? So like suddenly, let's say, Eliza, you get really into bicycling. There's a really good chance, a chance that your friends are going to start getting into
0: it. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. It's, it's kind of like, why are hot people always friends? Sort of. Mm-hmm. The hot principle. Right? Because they have
1: similar values and so on. Hot so values. I yes. asked, what will cause interesting people to connect with me? And so I started studying all this stuff to, and researching it. And to prove out my theories... I created the secret dining experience. 12 people are invited. They're not allowed to talk about what they do or give their last name. They cook dinner together. And when we sit down to eat, we play a game to try to guess what everybody does. And they find out that it's, you know, the president of MTV and Malcolm Gladwell and Eliza and the editor-in-chief of Elle and a Nobel laureate. And so I've hosted over 2,000 people at 227 dinners in 10 cities and 300
0: countries. Folks, let me tell you, I got invited to this and I love stuff like this. I remember I did a like an unplugged camp experience called Camp Grounded a few years ago. And a lot of adults do these things. And John, I'm sure you've done them. And you go and you make up a fake name and you kind of get to experience other people as you would have years ago if you were at camp and you don't you couldn't talk about what you do for a living although a couple of people knew what I did and at this dinner there was you had like a nobel laureate for physics uh, or chemistry i think at the dinner and we go around the table and because he had fun glasses i was like i think you're a furniture designer and he was actually The doctor, we did a Zoom call at the beginning of this pandemic. Okay, so this was March. And you invited me to the Zoom call just to kind of throw around ideas. Obviously, I'm not throwing around ideas, but listening about Corona. And he said on this call in March, all the research they had done about wearing masks. And he demonstrated how far your spit goes and all this stuff. And this was before Anybody was wearing masks, and I had this information. And I remember thinking, like, that's right. Nobody listens to the scientists at the beginning of the movie, but he knew this (laughs) nine months ago.
1: Um. Uh, Yeah, he's that. That guy is uh, is insane. I think his name is Adrian Bax. He's the number one cited chemist, I think, in like history. I was so out of Uh, my league. (laughs) NIH. Uh, Uh, super smart guy. Super
0: smart. Anyways, I remember we made burritos. And I sat next to some incredible people who of whom I'm still in touch with, uh, one of them being you. And uh, <laughs> that night, and then the dinner's over and then he opens it up to like 100 people come and we have different speakers. That night you had uh, the man who started Kickstarter, you had an ex-CIA agent, I believe, and then these two singers. Yep. And the woman who threw the party as a music manager and I was like, well, I'm gonna probably just eat and dash. I was the last one to leave out of like 150 people. And- I've never yep. been the last one to leave and Wendy and I are still friends. So it was great. I felt very cool.
1: And she shared crazy stories of managing like Guns N' Roses and Duran Duran and Aerosmith and all these like classic bands. Yeah, her house was, was awesome. Um,
0: so the second question is, John, Dax is the name, says, do you feel that the work... Sorry, that you're, you guys, full disclosure, I took a painkiller at three in the morning. Uh, I'll tell you about my bottom of the cob. So if I stumble on words, it's not my fault. Do you feel that your work has you more as the conduit of connection or do you feel like being the host of these connection dinners allows you to be a part of the experience? Essentially, I'm asking how many degrees of separation do you feel when you are in that process? Great question.
1: Uh, that is a really great question because it's not something most people think about. Yeah. I kind of end up feeling like the conductor of an orchestra. So there's still like a distance for me between the musicians, all of you who prepare the food. Uh And I still feel like I'm part of it, but I, it's more like, I guess, being a counselor than the camper.
0: Yeah, You know, I'm still at camp
1: kind of, but I have all these responsibilities and I'm thinking like, (laughs) is is Eliza making guac fast enough? Uh And is Wendy like, you know, making impossible burger fast enough? Uh, And so it's kind of after that I get to bond with people more, like having one-on-one conversations. Yeah, Um, yeah. But there is, is a really funny, like from a behavioral science standpoint, and for those of you who are dating, uh, this is a really kind of fun f- concept. There's something called the misattribution of arousal. Ooh. And I don't mean sexual arousal. Oh. Slow down there, champ. Uh, <laughs> but essentially, there's a like famous experiment where they sent men to walk across bridges. Half of the men went on like a standard bridge that's really sturdy. The other half walked down a um, high ropes bridge, which was really scary. At the far end was an attractive woman. And she said, here's my number. If you have any questions, thank you for participating. Feel free to reach out to me. And supposedly the guys that went on the high ropes bridge asked the woman out more frequently. And the theory was that because they confused how the excitement that they felt from the high ropes bridge Mm. with the (gasps) woman, they were more attracted to her. And so- there's this kind of odd characteristic that people can't separate their heightened emotional states from the people they're with. And so if you want to uh, get people to feel a certain way about you, you might be able to just create a scenario or environment where those emotions come up and then they'll be associated to you. So That's I think I got a bit of that.
0: I, you know what's funny? As you said that, I was like, the guys who walked on the scary rope the adrenaline of having almost died, it's almost mm-hmm. like they associate... I, to me, it was more like they were riding that high and they were like, I got to ask her out because life is short. And you're saying it's something different.
1: No, so it, it's possible that that's that too. There's, uh, and if, if we want to get into dating
0: or like... Oh, I, I we think will. there's a question. No, we will. Um, it's no secret that fast fashion and the demand for fashion in general is helping to wreck our planet while introducing newly. Newly is a subscription clothing rental service. For just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles each month. Access to thousands of styles from more than 400 brands with inclusive sizing. And they have fast, free shipping and returns and professional cleaning in Newly's state of the art laundering facility. Plus, the option to buy what you love. I gifted Newly to a friend whose daughter works in an office where you have to be presentable and it's trendy. She gets to try out stuff. She always looks fresh at work, she always looks cute. And when she's done with it, which we usually are after wearing something for a while, she can send it right back. Newly is a great value at $98 a month for any six styles, but right now you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code ELIZA20. Just go to N-U-U-L-Y.com, that's Newly with two U's, and enter the code ELIZA20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's dot com. Newly with two U's, with code ELIZA20. Newly Subscription Clothing Rental. Change your clothes. Safe to say everybody loves bread, but everybody doesn't eat bread as often as they would like to because of bread guilt, right? Health concerns, carb fear-mongering. I mean, if we could, we would eat toast sandwiches made of toast, nice layer of sandwich bread on the top, toast in the middle, and wash it down with a nice glass of bread. Hero Bread makes those same delicious favorites free of consequences or compromises. You should feel good when you eat bread. Hero Bread has 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 0 grams of sugar, and it's high in fiber, which is what you want. Hero Bread is delicious and flavorful, and it's soft and it's fluffy, so it puts you right back there, you know, years ago, eating your favorite sandwich before we were afraid of wheat. And they have something for everyone. They have sliced bread loaves, they have buns, they have tortillas. Don't give up on being a breadhead. Hero Bread is offering 10% off your order. Go to hero.co and use code ELIZA at checkout. That's ELIZA at H-E-R-O dot C-O. Hurry and get 10% off your order when you use ELIZA at H-E-R-O dot C-O. There was definitely a time where my closet was crammed to the gills with every skort, gaucho pant, crop top I'd worn for the last 20 years. And there comes a time in every adult woman's life where you realize you want less clothing at higher quality. And a great way to do that without breaking the bank is upgrading to high quality, affordable pieces from Quince. Now I have a wardrobe of simplistic pared down items, but I like to keep it stocked with key luxury essentials that I know I'll wear time and time again, like 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters for $50. I'm a big fan of their washable stretch silk palazzo pants, I don't have time to be caring for silk like I do my children, so it's nice that I can just wash it, and it's a versatile pair of pants that I can wear out for an evening or just out with friends. The best part is all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands indulge in affordable luxury go to quince.com slash eliza for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns that's q-u-i-n-c-e.com slash eliza to get free shipping and 365 day returns quince.com slash eliza uh, we actually have a question that ties into that big blonde and proud big blonde Whoever wants to take this question can take it. I think I'll leave it to the behavioral scientist. I feel like my husband is in a bit of a rut. I suggest going out for social distance dinners at restaurants or getting takeout from someplace different while we're out. No dice. I feel like I go out of my way to bring home tasty treats. We normally don't share weekends because of our work schedules. But when I propose something as an outing, he doesn't want to do it. It just feels like he doesn't go out of his way for anything anymore and nothing much matters. I've become lactose intolerant recently and it feels like he literally can't be bothered to remember. And we'll still put milk in my coffee. Maybe he's trying to kill you. I don't want to be unfair. He's very loving and kind and understanding. We get along great uh, but what can I do to get uh, oh, but what can I do to get him to get a gumption? I've asked him if things are fine, if he's upset with me, or if he feels uh things, or if his feelings have changed. And he always is horrified by me asking, and even apo- and even apologizes, but nothing changes. Thoughts. Thank you so much, love and squeeze the baby arm, hot Scotty, smoky husky, snow peach, arctic seal, and most importantly, you, Eliza. Heart emoji, and then a square emoji because we printed it out on something that doesn't recognize emojis.
1: <laughs> There's a square. So I. Uh- First of all, I think it's awesome that Big Blonde and Proud cares this much to really make some effort. Um, I think that's super sweet. Uh, And what could be going on here, like, you know, these things are so complicated, but check out this idea. Um, When you look at like people's habits and forming them, sometimes all it takes is one thing. Like people who get fit sometimes say, I remember that day I just stopped by not smoking one cigarette. And to get that buildup, we sometimes want to apply something called the flywheel effect, or uh, in nature, it's called the winner effect. And it's kind of cool. It works like this. So if an animal gets into a fight and wins, it actually makes it more likely that it'll win its next challenge. What happens is the body floods with testosterone and it builds up confidence. And so it makes the next challenge easier to win. Now, this keeps happening until one of two scenarios. Either the animal gets overconfident, gets into a fight that it didn't need to get into and dies, (laughs) or it sits out in the open and gets hunted because they think they're invulnerable. Mm. From a personal standpoint, uh, Eliza, you know this happened to me. I... Uh, I went to running of the bulls in Pamplona, mm-hmm. and I made it through the run, and I was like on high. And then I messed with one of the bulls; like I hit it, like not hit it, I tapped it, and I, I I got an even higher high. And so the last thing I did was I laid down, and you can lay down, and the bulls jump over you, and the bull missed its jump, landed on me, crushed me, and almost killed me. I ended up going to triage and all this. Everyone could relate but to this.
0: Who couldn't relate to who that? Who couldn't?
1: <laughs> but to bring this back to the the significant other issue, uh. Boxers sometimes do something called tomato can fights, which are fights that they know they will win uh, just to give them confidence to go into their main fight. And what we might want to do, or what you might want to do is create a series of really small wins. So it doesn't need to be going out of the house right away. It could be just like, can you do this one little thing? And then that little bit of effort makes something, give them give like that next level up and just keep leveling up. So eventually what you have is like a flywheel of excitement.
0: I wonder, there's that. That sounds like so much work. And I wonder.
1: (laughs) It is a lot of work. Because as I
0: was reading that, I was like, I kind of get it. Like I love, loved, you know, new restaurants and trying things. And now that that's all sort of been taken away, I wonder if you could speak to this, if there's something, actually, there's a question about this because I- I guess I feel like rut begets rut. And so like the more I've stayed mm, home, true. all of a sudden my your world can get very small. Like I, I'm like, oh my God, I don't want to drive that far. That far being 15 minutes. But like, you know, if you allow your world to get smaller, that's what happens with shut-ins. Truly Julie, 1992, mm. my question is about how... We get into ruts where we get used to self-isolation. Years ago, I was pretty social and a lot of friends. Gradually, I started to stay home more. I do deal with depression anxiety. The idea of going out or making new friends sounds like work and uncomfy. She's not wrong. I've gotten used to being alone and staying home. And while I'm an introvert, I would love more friends or a significant other. Even before the, even before COVID, this is something that, became, that has become far too comfortable. Something about hanging out with my dog 24-7 is so comforting. I feel you, sister or brother. I don't know what you are. Uh, I guess my dog makes people seem like garbage. How do I restore my faith that all people don't have ulterior motives? And how do I enjoy their company again? I feel like that's two different paranoias. The ulterior yeah, motive. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, something happened to you. I think one's you. a
1: lack of trust mm-hmm. in general and the other is creating human connection. So this is actually super interesting um, for two reasons. One is uh, I'm working on my second book. It's called You're Invited. And uh, we looked at the research on relationships and what we found is between 1985, uh, the average American had about three close friends besides family. Now it's about, uh, it's two or less, uh, which means that on average, we're losing friends. And so uh, this isn't something that's unique to Julie. It's actually for all of us, uh, is that I think we're, we tend to be a bit lonelier than we were uh, not that long ago. Is that ago. because of social media? Uh, social media didn't kick in until about 2012, so it exacerbates us, uh, the situation probably and makes us more anxious. Mm. Yes, uh, it also gives us a lot of FOMO. So there's there's kind of two important factors here. If if I can get kind of a little science-y. the first is how do we build trust, and the problem Julie's pointing to is that she wants evidence that people aren't all dicks, <laughs> frankly. Mm. Uh, And the problem is that we all are dicks (laughs) to some degree. Uh, So most people want vulnerability to follow trust. Like I want to be able to trust somebody and then I'll be vulnerable. Mm. But it turns out that it goes the other way. All the research shows that when I'm vulnerable and you treat that with respect, Eliza, I'll trust you more.
0: Yeah, it's like like giving a, a beaten dog a treat he's mm-hmm. got to, you know you got to, he got to make himself av- available and then he and then he trusts you you know
1: so and benet brown talks about this kind of stuff right she calls it the wholehearted people uh so th- the first thing i'd encourage you to do if you want to find friends is check out something like meetup find a a, a like a topic that you actually enjoy and that's worth leaving your house for because especially if you're introverted Going out just to meet people is scary as all hell. Like, it's just... So if you have an activity that you're really interested in, like you really like a book club Mm -hmm. or knitting or something like that, that activity actually allows you to bond much faster.
0: Yeah, maybe get to know yourself and things that you like. Maybe it's a running club. I mean, it's tough because of corona. I will say this just from a personal standpoint. uh, On stand-up, I just started talking about my miscarriage and... You know, I always have said in every interview, the comedy gods reward vulnerability and people don't mm. realize like they bond with me because I say things that are very personal and open. And I told that story knowing it doesn't get any laughs because I haven't figured out a punchline yet, but the amount of feedback and I feel like the connection people have then they write to me like, oh my God, I had one. I made the choice to bear my soul and what I get back is so worth it. That connection with people. Um you also have to realize, I think that like being, vulnerable, no one's going to really hurt. You're not giving away your virginity. It sucks to be rejected, but most people have decent intentions. And there's a lot of introverts that come to my show and they come alone and a lot of people meet each other at my shows. And that's not about the show as much as they pick something that they liked, they went and then they met someone there in the bathroom, in line, whatever. So what he's saying, I've seen it in real life. So maybe something like in, that. In-
1: It's super interesting because we, the reason that we um, cook dinner together, Eliza, is because of something called the Ikea effect, that when you, people disproportionately care about their Ikea furniture because they had to assemble it. Interesting. So anytime we put effort into something, which is why I really encourage activities, even if it's like a workout or something, just the activity. Yeah. Will allow us to bond. It takes a lot of the awkwardness out. So now you have I don't have to, to focus like- on.
0: That's why people do like team building for businesses and like trust falls and ropes courses. It's not about <laughs> yes. who's stronger, it's about trusting that John's going to catch you and then you all have Kool Aid together. Uh, <laughs> another question for you. Katie? Can Kunigaus you Kunigaus Kate. Why do people procrastinate?
1: I mean, why wouldn't they? <laughs>
0: Like, <laughs> I'll
1: be completely honest. I'd much rather watch one of your specials than have to like work on a big project. Oh, uh, not human me. beings survived <laughs> mm-hmm. because we, um, we learned, uh, or our species survived because we learned to use the minimum amount of effort to accomplish what we need to. If I'm alive right now, there's no reason for me to waste a lot of energy if I don't know where my food's coming from. Mm. So- It doesn't make sense for us to be insanely motivated. Now, at times we are, but if you look at it, there's this crazy experiment that discovered how to deal with motivation, and it's called optimal anxiety. And it works like this human beings are not productive when they're calm. They're also not productive when there's so much pressure on them that they feel like they're crumbling. Mm -hmm. There's this Peak moment in between it's like if let's say you had an office job and you found out that you're presenting to the president of the company, that excitement of having this near term goal that's a kind of a big deal is what will motivate you into action. Hmm. the uh, but if it was presenting on the u n stage, that might be too much pressure, and you might crumble under that, right so uh, the key is in always finding. Something that's just outside your skill set so that it's exciting and new. And there's this theory also called flow state, which says that uh, we enter the state of peak human performance when we're doing something that requires skill. So it's engaging, you can't just ignore it, it's not boring. But it's not so much that we're failing all the time because then we get really self conscious.
0: Interesting. <laughs> Uh, because Justin mosing along says, what are some workarounds for when you're putting off a task? I should have tied these two together. For instance, ways to trick the brain into creating healthy habits and sticking to them. Are there any particular mm-hmm. systems, planners, meditations, apps you use to keep on track and make daily productivity increases? Thank you.
1: Uh, so there's a few. One is there's a list of tasks that I have to do every week, like writing proposals for clients or, uh, or, you know, typing up a section of the book that I don't really want to do. And what I do is I, I, I hire somebody to sit and do it with me. Like five bucks on Upwork and knowing that I have that dedicated time and I have somebody sitting with me who will like type what I say.
0: Mm. Yeah. Uh,
1: forces me to get it done at that time.
0: Oh, that like the accountability There's, of it.
1: Yeah. Oh, interesting. And I'm paying for it, it's, right? Like the fact that it's...
0: Yeah. I think oh, it's kind of the same theory behind like hiring a trainer. Like... You yes, know what exactly. to do, but that person you've like, or also even paying for a gym. Like, once you've paid, you're like, I better use it. Otherwise, you're wasting money, which no one wants to do. So, there is that. I got an idea. There's also hire someone oh. to punch you in the face in exactly three days if you don't get something done.
1: That's called the Ulysses Pact. Oh, no. that's like a thing. Oh, my God. You stumbled onto like a, <laughs> the science of it. Science? So, there's a. Famous story of Ulysses wanting to hear the sirens from the I think it's the Odyssey or the Iliad. Yeah, and essentially, uh, he would have died if he would have listened to it because he would have jumped overboard from the ship. So he he had uh, his team tie him to the mast and then he couldn't escape. So it's you you lock in right. So you say, okay, I'm going to put in a thousand dollars into this account, and if I don't get it done, it goes to my political rival. Yeah, or whatever it
0: is. ooh, that's that's insane. That's an insane way to do it. Yeah. Um. The only say, Eliza, John, Emily, and the snowiest peach. John, what is the snowiest peach? What is the reason behind people that like slash want or can't resist the urge to smell weird things? Like when you change a body piercing and smell your fingers afterwards. Or when you find something in the <laughs> fridge that's been there for a while and open the container to smell it. Uh, example, Anthony from Queer Eye who says he loves weird smells. What well, you're... You're testing the food to make sure you can eat it. That's a health thing. But I am interested in like the gross thing part. John, if you have any insight. I I
1: think it's really, uh, I think that's a really funny question because I can also completely associate it. It's like when I taste something terrible and I'm like, oh my God, you have to try this.
0: I did it yesterday. I tried this like nature bar thing and I was like, this is horrible and made my tongue numb. Emily, do you want to try this? Because I want to have a shared experience with someone and bond Uh over how bad it is.
1: There, there's a few things. One, there's like, we respond to novelty and we can get into that a little bit later. There's also this, uh, there's also two other things that are kind of weird. One is, um, you know how we always compliment children that are curious? Mm. As if like curious, curiosity is like a wonderful thing. Uh, when you really look at curiosity, it's a lot like an itch you can't scratch. It's actually not pleasant. Mm. It's like this annoyance.
0: Yeah.
1: And so there's this thing called, uh, uh, information gap theory, when there's a gap in like what we we know. And so the curiosity might be so great Ooh. that we want to like, that itch that you, you're you like. And I think that there's also an element of, um, of uh, and one of your other uh, guests asked a question about this because uh, it's the uh, anonymous question about staying awake at night.
0: Oh, okay. I got to find that one. But wait, I have a question. I have a thought. Yes. The information gap theory, the only other podcast I really listen to is Lore. And it's all about, you know, lore and things that we make up. And he talks about how when humans in a culture like don't have the information, like, you know, what is God or why does it rain? They make up their own stories. And does Oh, that, yeah. So, so that, I don't know. It, it's
1: super interesting because it, you, the environment where rumors spread the fastest is you have to have a gap in information. Oh, so, like, yes. the famous example is people hear an explosion and they're like, was it terrorism? I bet it was terrorism. Was it, like, a gas main? And you'll hear just a lot of stories because people cannot stand having a gap in their information and in their knowledge.
0: You're absolutely right. Like, it's, you can see that in real time. Like, if you're waiting on a tarmac mm-hmm. and you're just like, why aren't we going? And it's like, oh, I heard the pilot say this or I saw this or they're de-icing this and we're just, you're looking for any sort of kernel of information uh, and then you begin to speculate, and speculation becomes truth. And then you have people listening to QAnon, and you've lost your dad. <laughs> yes, the,
1: uh, it's it's funny because it's I think it's pretty tied into like, actually oddly gambling, since we like to be able to predict and everything. When things are unpredictable, and the emotional highs are really high,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: the emotional lows are really low, uh, we get obsessed. Yeah, here's a here's like a dating example. Let's say you went out on a date with a guy. I know you're married, but just for... No, no,
0: John, we can't do an example. I have to respect my husband. No example of me dating ever. Go ahead. I'm on a date with a hot dude who looks like Jason Momoa. Totally
1: hot dude. And uh, (laughs) and he says, uh, come over here. And he gives you a kiss on the cheek. Uh, And then the next date, he says, come over here. And he like punches, uh, not punches, uh, pinches your belly fat. He's okay. given two different responses to the same input, right? Yeah. Like, and yeah. now all of a sudden, your brain is going crazy. In one, you thought you were liked. in the other, you're like a best friend, or he's making fun of your body weight or something. You don't mm. know how to take it. When you have two different results for the same action, our, body go, our brains go crazy.: Yeah, and This is especially bad when in dating, because the highs are really high and, and the lows are really low. So we obsess. What did he mean by that?
0: What did I, you know what, if for the women listening, I feel like a big chunk of our lives talk about an information gap is dedicated to like, what did he mean? Why did he write that? What did he do? And the answer is he's not into you because that's the action of a crazy person who's looking to make you feel crazy. And that is only codependent crazy girls are like, I got to go back for more of that. I specifically, I find this with like a lot of comics. I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to get when I talk to this person. I don't know if they'll acknowledge me. It's kind of the whole thing when you meet like a celebrity and they're like, they make you feel like you're the only person in the room. But when they ignore you, it's the coldest feeling. And I'm like, I don't want to engage with that person because feeling good 50% of the time doesn't work for me. I don't need there to be a surprise with my emotions when I engage with someone. And I tend to stay away from those types of people because I don't like feeling good like at a heightened level, like that, just because I'm about to feel bad.
1: Yeah. But I'm also not I, I, a drug addict. So <laughs> I, uh, I'm in the same boat. I, when my interactions with people are so unpredictable, yeah, it's just not healthy for me.
0: Do you guys hear because what he's I like saying? To love on people. He's, yes. And you're very, and you're to me, you're very steady. Every time I talk to you, I get the exact same. Pr- I'm sure you have bad days and good days, but you're yeah. consistent. You're always. You're always consistent with like a lot of information and a lot, you know, the names of a lot of experiments. And even as you're pulling them out, I'm thinking like, how does he remember all these? But for the girls listening, you want someone that's consistent. My husband is that way. Like, you know, everyone's allowed to have a bad day, but like steady. You want that so that you can be a crazy butterfly, right? Unless you're the steady one. Do you know when Crystal Pepsi was discontinued? What was in Al Capone's vault? Or which famous meteorologist is Lenny Kravitz's second cousin? If not, then you haven't spent enough time on Wikipedia. But that's okay, because you can learn it all on the new podcast, WikiHole, from Smartless Media. Discover the craziest rabbit holes on Wikipedia with host Darcy Cardin and her favorite comedian friends as they bring the cyber frontier directly to your tympanic membrane. And if you listen to Wikihole, you'd learn that's the sciencey term for eardrum. Wikihole is a hyperlink roller coaster starting out on one Wikipedia page and then going from link to link to link, careening through trivia, oddities, and unexpected connections until everyone wonders, "How the hell did we get here?" Follow WikiHole on the Wondry app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to WikiHole ad-free by joining Wondry Plus in the Wondry app or on Apple Podcasts. It's hard to take care of your hair when there's, quite frankly, too many options. Of course you're skeptical. Everything promises to give you all the answers you ever wanted that genetics couldn't give you. But when pros says custom, they actually mean it. It's no gimmick. Your formula couldn't exist without you. Every bottle of pros custom hair and skincare is made to order and personalized with a unique blend of naturally powerful and proven effective ingredients to meet your needs. Their in-depth consultation analyzes over 80 factors for a complete view of your life and beauty goals. I love that Pros goes in-depth. I mean, they asked me my zip code to understand how the water in my area affects my hair. Try it for yourself and get your healthiest hair in 30 days or your money back. Pros is so confident that you'll love the results that they're offering my listeners an exclusive trial offer so you can see the difference custom care can make. 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash Eliza. That's P-R-O-S-E.com com slash Eliza for your free consultation and 50% off your one-of-a-kind formulas. Pros.com slash Um, Speaking of others, swinging down under, do you believe that ethical non-monogamy and alternative relationship styles are becoming more popular and accepted? If so, why? What advice would you give to help people explore different ways we can healthily approach a mindset change of what a relationship looks like.
1: So uh, have you been hearing a lot about this? Like people are like, oh, I'm polyamorous and all that.
0: That, and I love the word thruple.
1: Ooh, thruple. That's what, uh.
0: We're thruple.
1: Good for them. If they can pull that off. I don't even know how my wife puts up with me. I can't imagine <laughs> like an additional person. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I'll put- two kind of like fun tidbits on this. There's a, a dinner alum by the name of uh, Nicole Prowse, who's who uh, studies uh, human sexuality mm-hmm. uh, for a whole slew of reasons, mostly for health reasons, like how, uh, oh, it doesn't even matter. But uh, she said when she looked at the research that people are talking about it more, but there isn't actually any more polyamory than there was 10, mm-hmm. 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've, I've kind of, a couple of theories on this. First of all, if you grew up in an environment where there's equality between men and women, and people can, there's no like slut shaming and stuff like that, uh, it, it seems that there's a lot of societies or that can function like that, or there there has been historically. And the book that really covered it is something called uh, Sex at Dawn. It's now as far as you know, I grew up in a mostly Western society that's really heavily influenced by Christianity, even though I'm Jewish. So there's like a lot of baggage that we carry. And I'm not sure if you've grown up with it, like how, and you, you prefer monogamy, how comfortable you're going to be in a situation where your partner is sleeping with other people. Yeah. Like that's, I think that's going to be like that 50% case that we were talking about. Yeah. Like I, if, it just doesn't work for me to to be emotionally everywhere and if my spouse was like oh i'm going to go sleep with some other people i'd be like great we shouldn't be married like, i think
0: it's a uh, i think it's like I have seen it work. I'm only thinking of one couple throuple that I know, but I don't really mm-hmm. know them. I do feel, especially with younger people, you know, you're so encouraged to explore your sexuality and now we're talking about how sex is a spectrum and all these things. I think it's a lot of information to process and I think it just comes down to you haven't found the one person that you want to focus on. You're maybe not into them and you're missing something and someone feels a different... The idea... And I understand that people are like, humans aren't meant to be monogamous. I think... It's, it's weird that it's okay that men have multiple partners, but it's not okay when women do. Like, I don't know why there are no Mormons where the woman has several husbands. And I think it all goes back to men should have, like, as much as they want all the time. And I also think if you did that, I because th- people write in all the time, like, should we explore with someone else? Someone's going to get hurt for the most part. You're not going to be ultimately cool. Think about how competitive you were when your best friend had another best friend. <laughs> now have sex with each other. <laughs>
1: So uh, this is interesting. I I will say this. I think that this opens itself up to a lot of confusion, right? And if it's something that people want to do, they should go and explore it. There's no like cookie cutter marriage that right. works. Uh, I I will say though that the guest that uh, uh, the person that asked the question said that it's just not something they feel comfortable with. So either they need to learn to feel comfortable with it or they need to just find a relationship that works for them. its I don't know how much gray area there is there unless they're okay with spending a lot of their life hurt.
0: It's its a lot to deal with. Um, and yeah. jumping, uh, piggybacking off that, uh, synonymous, why do I repeat patterns in relationships instead of learning the red flags and getting out early? That's- yeah. <laughs>
1: so I'm going to have all of your guests do something, our listeners do something really funny right now. Okay. I want you to think about your cell phone and look uh, and just think about your cell phone and think about what's the icon on your bottom left of your screen. Okay. Now look at your phone and see if you were right. I was wrong. You were wrong. Okay. Now put your phone down. Now, when you opened your phone, it probably said the time. Do you remember what time it said?
0: It said 1043.
1: No way. There's no way it said that. Really?
0: I did. Yeah. I mean, I got it.
1: Oh, wow. You're like literally the only person. Normally, nobody looks at the actual time. They just oh. it. Oh, <laughs> I'm sorry. And Do you
0: want to cut that part out?
1: <laughs> no, no, no. It's great that you got it. But your guests will not, uh, not your guests, your listeners will not have seen it. Nobody ever notices it. Oh. And the <laughs> reason is that the human brain uh, has something called inattentional blindness, which is that we only notice what we directly want to see or find.
0: Ooh, uh-huh
1: So you wanted to see what the app was, generally, people will not see the time, and you will definitely not remember what the top right app was or like anything else right or and uh there's like famous examples with like gorillas walking by as people are passing balls and like all these kinds of things, and people don't see the gorilla. But the point in all of this is that when you are excited about something you don't want to see all the reasons that it's not going to work. There and in go. situations there like go. that, you need to assign your relationship to somebody else.
0: You hear that? Karen?
1: Assign That's your funny. relationship to somebody else. What do I mean by that? I don't know. Wait, wasn't she supposed to be anonymous?
0: <laughs> I I was just joking. I don't I definitely don't have oh, a friend yeah. named Karen.
1: So uh <laughs> we all know who you are now. Any- so uh so if uh, if Eliza's your person, Eliza gets to decide if you continue to date the person or not, and that's really it. You have to put it into somebody else's house uh, hands or the other thing you can do is create what we call like a litmus test. Do you remember those science experiments from like fifth grade? Yeah, when of course put- litmus strip a litmus test is a super easy test to figure out if um if something is one way or another. So when I was writing my book on the science of adventure, I would ask people, what's the most adventurous thing you've ever done or want to do? And if it was like super lame, I'd be like, great, you go have a fun night. I'm going to find other people to hang out with. Uh,
0: So that's what he's saying. He's saying, you know, you should have a trusted friend. That's the thing though. It's always this thing in dating where someone goes out with someone and as the friend, you're like, I don't like that person. And then they break up and you talk shit. And then it's like, well, what if they get back together? And now they're going to know I don't like them. And I'm always like, who cares? <laughs> Say your opinion. It's for the friend. It's not out of jealousy. This friend never listens to me. But it's interesting that you're mentioning litmus test because K.C. Asana says... Why do people make rules, quote unquote, around dating? For example, after a first date, you can't call or text the person for so many days. Why are people so scared to seem eager into someone? When I like someone, I want to talk to them and let them know. Am I the weird one?
1: Yes. Yes, you are the weird one. But so am I. (laughs) I am an absolute weirdo and I can relate. Uh, There's stupid inherited beliefs that our uh, society has passed down from generation to generation. The, The fact, right? Like, when telephones were invented, then we said we can't call for three days. Great. This is stupid. The, I think the question needs to fall into like two categories. One is, if you only want to date the type of person who responds well with you telling them exactly how you feel, then that's your litmus test. If you tell them earlier than you normally would, or than other people would, and it doesn't work, then That great. person you wasn't just, for
0: you. There you go. You know, I wish more women would listen to that. You have to. It's The rules are there. Typically, I mean, the not calling is so you look cooler, but hopefully the person that you like likes you just as much and they want to talk and doesn't subscribe to that. My husband didn't, and I've definitely dated guys that don't do that. It's not a rule as much as like you don't want someone that's that preoccupied with looking cool or not making you feel good. Almost everything in this world is bullshit, so do it your way.
1: You want to know something funny. I did the largest study in history on I think I did on dating. We looked at four hundred and thirty one million potential matches between people. Wow and uh, and the first thing we really need to accept is that most people are just not for us, yeah, like, we need to be able to, like, eliminate all the people who are probably might be nice to talk to, but like are kind of a waste of time if you're looking for like a long-term relationship. Yeah. And that's fine. Get down to that handful of people and then figure out how to connect with them.
0: There you go. Not everyone's gonna match up. Most of the people that you like probably won't like you. And then you find that one. And that's why you should date often and date hard. That's not what John's saying, but I'm just saying.
1: (laughs) Go for it.
0: (laughs) Underscore old Taylor. Old underscore Taylor. How should you pick your battles, as they say? I sometimes find myself in arguments with people close to me that cause me to think, ooh, maybe I should cut this person off because they might be too toxic for me. But I've lost a lot of friends that way and now I kind of feel a little alone because of that. It's just hard for me sometimes to differentiate between people who are not worth being my friend and people who are just a little different than me. Like, what's a good gauge as to who should be included in my life and who should not? Perfect question. Perfect piggyback question. Uh,
1: So my first question would be, do you feel bad every time you hang out with that person?
0: There you go. And if you there do, you
1: <laughs> like that's a toxic relationship. Now realize that it might be you <laughs> that's creating the toxicity. Yeah. Uh, which a lot of us don't want to admit. There's like people that, you know, I was younger, I was more jealous. Every time I'd hang out with them, I'd end up leaving angry or annoyed. Yeah. And eventually I had to like accept that it was me just being jealous and a jerk. Right. Um, so then the second thing I'd ask is, what do you admire about them? Like what I admire about Eliza, for example, Go on. Is, she super, Go on. is super creative and brilliant, right? Like in the time that I have one idea, she's gone through like 10 and <laughs> looped back around. Uh, it's, it's super impressive. Uh, and so if, if let's say, um, obesity spreads or happiness spreads and all that kind of stuff, I want that kind of characteristic in my life so that I want that creativity. I'm going to be spend time around Eliza uh, because and like, and listen, it's, I know a little bit selfish, but I enjoy our friendship too. Like it's, I hopefully uh, give back. And so it's a, it ends up being like a give and take. a shared no, relationship. no,
0: John, I've gained nothing from this. Yeah. I already knew all these scientific facts and this has been a real burden. Um, Yeah, I do like what you said about how do you feel when you leave that person? And I think especially for the types of women that write in questions and uh, not types of women, but people listening to this podcast, you know, you don't need to stick anything out there. I always say that there's not nothing, no such thing as too picky in dating. Uh, But in friendship, you know, I can be very picky and I can cut people off very quickly. So think about, is it you or, and how you feel when you leave? Um, Uplifted? Do you feel anxious? I have actively avoided people who in just a brief interaction, I'm like, I always feel worse when I talk to this person. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's one other person uh, in comedy. Every time I speak to this person, I always feel a little off kilter. And so I'm like, do I want to make it an exercise to try to feel better? Or do I just completely like, like erase that person from my life? And that's what I did. Cause why, why be miserable? Why feel bad if you're not obligated, if you're not related to them. Also,
1: oh, uh, what I've noticed is, Elijah, you're not the same person you were 10 years ago. It wouldn't right. necessarily make sense for you to hang out with the same people you were hanging out with 10 years ago.
0: That is an excellent, uh, yeah, I... Uh... I remember I took this thing called the Landmark Forum, which you may think is bunk science or you, I'm not sure. I love it. I love it. Okay, great. I've done it.
1: I thought it was phenomenal.
0: I thought it was phenomenal. I only did it once when I was 18. And obviously the people around me were all adults and they had like, you know, divorce and like serious issues they were contending with. But one of the things that they said that I always held on to, and it might be part of the four agreements as well, just this idea that if something happens to you when you're younger and you make decisions based on that, for example, let's say... um, a dog bit you on the face when you were younger. That happened to me. Spending the rest of your life afraid of dogs, you're letting the decisions of that eight-year-old dictate your life. And you wouldn't do that for anything else. I wouldn't go to an eight-year-old for financial advice. So it's this idea that you're not the same person you were. So it's okay to not so much get rid of friends, but evolve and move on. It's okay if your best friend since kindergarten isn't, you guys don't align anymore. It's okay. Mm-hmm. I always say that. Get rid of your friends. Get rid of your friends. <laughs> Kill your relatives. Get rid of your friends. Um, Northern girly. Northern girly. Is there actually... <laughs> I, sometimes These are not real words. Uh, is there actually anything to those New York Times 36 questions to love or is that psychobabble nonsense?
1: Uh, so I, I didn't do those questions uh, personally, but I know the, the basics around it are kind of interesting, which is... Uh, we talked about creating vulnerability, right? So, uh, there's this guy named Jeff Bolzer who found that uh, building trust or connection follows four stages. The first is I put out a signal for vulnerability. Eliza, I've had a really tough week this week, right? Now, if Eliza makes fun of me, not like in like the mean way, I'm not going to be willing to trust or be vulnerable with her,
0: right? Ooh, yeah.
1: But if she acknowledges and says, John, I get it. I hurt my back this week, my shoulder. It's been pretty miserable. Uh, she put out a vulnerability signal. As long as I acknowledge it and say, wow, that sounds like it really sucks. All of a sudden, both of us have shown that we can be vulnerable and trust each other. What I think those 36 questions do is they create vulnerability loops in a, like a whole slew of different areas very quickly. So topics that I would never necessarily discuss with a friend or significant uh, uh, on a date. uh, Suddenly we're talking about all these areas of life really intimately. Mm. And then I think they tell you that you need to stare each other, uh, look at each other in the eyes. And the act of doing that and like letting go of your defenses and your giggling and all that creates a real sense of vulnerability. So I think it accelerates a process of developing trust quickly. I'm doing that with you
0: right now through the Zoom. I'm just staring at your eyes I appreciate that I've been stretching my... Now you're blurry.
1: <laughs> now I'm blurry. Hold on. Let me lean back. That's really awkward because I'm staring at a camera and I can't yeah. look at the screen at the same time.
0: Oh, I guess I'm looking at you and not and not the screen, which is looking at you. So it doesn't look like I'm looking at you. But the staring your eyes thing, I think that's also an acting exercise, you know, and just creating that to, you know, and where did I do this recently? Where it was like, just look to the person next to you. Oh, when I did the, uh, the unplugged weekend with Camp Grounded and you kind of connect with someone and don't feel awkward about it. Um... Even in acting, they say something like, you know, establishing that connection with your partner. Like, even if it's just touching them for a second, just to create some kind of energy between you. Um, Mm -hmm. Which I didn't get that moment with Mark Wahlberg. And then we had uh, sex on a bathroom sink. And uh, I was incredibly uncomfortable because I was so nervous. And then halfway through, (laughs) I was so nervous because there's no rule book for having fake sex on a sink with a movie star. I asked him halfway through cause I was making jokes and he wasn't laughing. And like, that's how I connect. I asked him if I could have a hug because I just needed like a moment. And he was like, Oh my God, sure. Like he didn't know I needed that. Um, So that's just uh boiling it down to a very energy Personal. exchange. Yeah. yeah. Uh, You know, what's weird. You said the thing about um vulnerability and, you know, if you said I had a really tough week, what does the other person say? I have this thing. I don't, like I'll say my back hurts and my husband will be like, oh, I'm so sorry, baby. And my first response is no. And he'll be like, no. Like, I don't think anybody actually cares. And so then I get mad at myself for even saying it because I know when people tell me stuff like that, I'm like, okay, I think they're lying. Their back is actually fine. I think it comes from, I think everybody's always lying about everything. And uh-huh. if you tell me like, you're like, I hurt my back. I went to, uh, in, I went to, what's it called? Not intensive care. What's the- What's the thing American. on the week? Uh, what's the one of the ones? These fucking painkillers are no joke. But the thing that's open, urgent care. You say to me, I hurt my back. I went to urgent care. I did this, this, and this. I think you're exaggerating and I will believe about 5% of that story. I always think everyone's lying. Is
1: that weird? Is it because you're a comedian? Like, because you all the stories have to be exaggerated?
0: Maybe it's that. Maybe it's because, I mean, I take pri- pride in telling truthful stories. Maybe it's because I live in Hollywood where everyone's kind of bullshitting. But when oh, yeah. someone tells me, like, I was out of work for six weeks, I'm like, no, you weren't. You didn't feel well. <laughs> like, I just, I, my instinct is this person's making it up. And I think, because I think people want to draw attention to themselves. Like, here's the horrible thing that happened to me. Maybe it's social media because everything's a lie. But I I always think everyone's lying. Isn't well, that horrible? Well,
1: first of all, um, people lie constantly, right? Yes. I, I don't think this haircut looks particularly good on me. <laughs> like it's, you know, uh, all kidding aside, though, we, we do. We tell, it's part of our social contract. Right. So when somebody says, do you like this and this? You know, they say things like, how could I not? And then you agree not to really <laughs> push into that. And, right. right. Part of our social contract. So part of it is that people do lie. The second part is that um, we absolutely can't trust our own memory whatsoever. Mm. So every time we access a memory, we probably change it a little. And so you end up starting off with one story. And I, I recently had my 40th birthday and my mom told a story about how when I was... Uh, thank you. Uh, when, when, when I had my 40th... Uh, sorry, when I was eight years old, she said, I would find computers on the street and use the pieces of them to assemble new computers. When I was eight years old, it was 1988, there were no computers being thrown out ever. <laughs> Nobody
0: could afford a computer. Like happen. none of this happened. Right.
1: Ever, like, this ever. didn't
0: happen. Yes.
1: So it's uh it's just like, you know what? If that's what they need, I'll give it to them. I'm sorry. If that's if you felt that bad that it felt like you were out for six weeks, that must have really sucked.
0: They're they're lying. The computer thing when people uh are overly, or just braggadocious about stuff. Like, and I was up all night. I'm like, it wasn't all night. You woke up yeah. at two, you peed. I just think people like to exacerbate their circumstances in order to gain sympathy. And mm-hmm. I just, especially in LA, where everyone's always lying and nothing ever happens, I just assume <laughs> everyone's mostly lying and it wasn't that bad. And and your mom just loves you and wants to brag on your behalf. Mom, you can't trust mom memory.
1: Oh, never, ever.
0: And then at the same time, It's so ironclad. I think when I was little, I liked Victorian houses. And I think I said that when I was like 13 and I've owned several homes, none of them Victorian to this day. My mom is still like, well, you like a Victorian house with a picket fence. And I'm like, there's no data to suggest that that is still my favorite type of house. And I let her say it because she remembers me as a baby. That's very sweet. Yeah. And she's
1: like, and you wanted to grow up to be a farmer that made Cabbage Patch Kids and uh, <laughs> exactly uh ride a unicorn. You Perfect. Just
0: like you said. Ratch.croft says, have you ever had the inclination to study serial killers, early relationships, and how they contribute to their dysfunctional relationship with their victims? If not, can you shed some light on why this is so intriguing to folks? Jesus, Ratch.croft. Sure, I-
1: I actually this is so funny. In my new book I actually looked into serial killers because I oh. wanted to understand two things. One is um what happens when people abuse trust. So everybody's like oh we need to trust more. The most prolific serial killer of all time was probably not we're not sure, a guy named uh, Dr. Shipman who would give injections that were unnecessary to medical patients and oh my kill them. God. Over 215 uh, people uh, were killed, well over, but they don't really know the number. Um, yeah, so that's crazy. So I looked into this, and I actually called up uh, the guy who created the show Criminal Minds. Mm. And, uh, and because you know that show, like 15 season, who knows how many episodes. Actors and he goes,
0: Get on that show, yeah.
1: He goes, John... Uh, As much as we'd like to hear these like brilliant genius and analyze human behavior, the truth is no serial killer has ever been caught from profiling. Oh, wow. The reason is that you can never figure out like backwards engineer anything. So if there's like a... If the person like kills in a certain way, you don't know why they do anything. I don't even know why I do anything. What makes me think I could predict it about another person? So like, although it's really interesting to hear like, oh yeah, they're bedwetters and their moms were this and dads were like that, none of that's relevant because you just can't predict another person's behavior. Right. What you could kind of do is if you have information on like 10,000 people, you can say most people act in this way. And that's kind of how Google is able to give you search results. Because if you type in flu into Google, it doesn't mean you have the flu. Mm-hmm. But if 100,000 people suddenly type in flu into Google, there's probably a reason for that. And so that's how they're able to like predict flu trends and all that kind of stuff. Oh. So I think it's, it's amazing. Uh, and I have a ton of respect for the people who are criminalists who try to like help save lives by doing these things. The problem is that the process just the way that like the, was it son of Sam was caught was a parking ticket, right? Like or it's always
0: like a small thing that they slip up on. Yeah. yeah.
1: So it's, it's just not what we expect. And so if you're going to try to predict anybody's behavior, it's probably not going to go very well.
0: Um, People have so many questions and uh, I just, I want to make sure we get, we answer enough types of questions. So people feel sated at the end of this. And, uh, Imani underscore G. Hello Eliza and hello John. I'm a 28 year old licensed social worker and I work as a community based therapist for kids and families. Yes, we're extra busy as a result of COVID. As a behavioral health professional, it can sometimes be easier to understand things in theory than it is to put them in practice in real life, particularly in regards to building helpful routines for self care. Does John have any thoughts on this conundrum or how tips or on tips on how to help this kind of decision making translate to behaviors that will actually stick? Thank you and love to the Pod Squad. Well, so, you have- want uh,
1: <laughs> behavioral habits and getting them to stick?
0: I guess right? so. Yeah. Uh,
1: I think the biggest way I've been able to get behavioral habits to stick is to actually make friends with people who have them as part of their life. So, oh,
0: I see what you're I saying. Oh, kind of going myself- back to what you're saying about the hobbies and joint uh, things. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, if I wanted, when I wanted to get fit, I called up my friends who are like totally abbed out and gym rats, and I turned it into a social activity where I could connect with them and work out together. Because otherwise, I'm never going to wake up at 6 a.m. to do something I hate. <laughs> right. <laughs> the, the other is that most of us relate to our habits like punishments. It's like a really unhealthy thing to do. Like, mm. oh, I need to work out rather than like finding something that you actually enjoy. So if you enjoy playing basketball, who cares if you don't have six-pack abs and like right. huge biceps, go do something that you'll actually want to do. Yeah. And we'll make time. So uh, part of it is, in my mind at least, stop relating to things as miserable <laughs> obligations that we have to do, like flossing. <laughs> like,
0: oh, I love flossing.
1: <laughs> I I, 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 enj- I floss every night, but yeah. a lot of people are like, oh my God, I have to floss? like.
0: I guess I feel that and way if not I'm, everything if should I'm be drunk that and I'm like, oh, I've got to brush my teeth, whatever. But it's, for me, it's become a habit. So it's like, ugh, but I would feel worse if I didn't do it. I, mm-hmm. I think back to in high school taking notes. Um, I didn't love doing it, but then I got really into it. Like this is before people had those like journals that they do with multicolored pens. And I got <laughs> multicolored pens and I had like a system for taking notes. And I had the most beautiful organized notes and I like found a way to enjoy the thing yeah. I didn't like. Same with traveling. Like I find a way to like put thought into my outfit and what am I going to... Like you find a way to make it fun since it's a necessary evil. And then all of a sudden it's not so evil anymore. You know?
1: The other is that people have this habit of trying to take on too many new habits at once. It's yeah. like the new year and they feel obligated. Ugh. Like I'm going to change these 12 things. That's not realistic. No. The fact is that... Uh, that you can only handle so. you know, somebody once asked me, do I believe people change? And the best answer I've ever heard was yes. Uh, wait, what is it? No. The answer is no, I don't believe people change, but I see it every day. Meaning oh, it's possible, but it's behavioral change is fundamentally difficult. It really is. Well,
0: it's interesting you say that because Monish says asks, do you believe that after a certain age, people can change or at a certain point in life, our personality roots in and different life experiences, we basically are set in our ways?
1: Oh, I definitely believe that people can change. Yeah. I don't believe you're going to be able to change anyone if that's the real question. Mm. Uh, meaning that if I'm really, I'm going to give you a, a, a way to look at behavioral change that I really love. And it goes like this. Imagine that our mind is like an elephant with a rider. Our emotional side and our biases are like the elephant, right? Our emotions are really strong. Our rider is like our logical thinking, right? So reason all that. Now, if we try to reason ourselves, we can maybe in the morning eat a healthy breakfast, but by 6 p.m., that rider is really tired and won't be able to control the elephant. And if I see a chocolate bar on my counter, yeah. I'm going to eat it. So what most people try to do is they'll like logic themselves into, okay, yeah. I'm going to wake up early and work out and yeah. blah, blah, blah. Great. Yeah. But at a certain point, the rider's going to get tired and our emotions are going to take control and we're going to do something stupid, like make out with somebody or get in drunk dial and all those kinds of things. Right. There's a third option, which is uh, the elephant and the rider could go anywhere they want unless the path they're walking down is so rigid that they can't make turns to the wrong directions. So if there are no candy bars in my home, it doesn't matter how much I'd want one, I'm not going to eat one. And so if you want to change people's behavior, what most people do is they'll give them a logical reasoning, smoking is bad, or even an emotional reason, I don't want you to die before my wedding, right? Like, dad, stop smoking, I don't want you to die before my wedding. The third and better option is to change the environment ahead of time so that the elephant and the rider don't have a choice.
0: Interesting. Just if, throw out a cigarettes, lock him in a room.
1: Yeah. It, and what's amazing is CBS, you know, the pharmacy chain, uh, <laughs> they, they stopped selling cigarettes because they were like, our commitment is people's health. And people are like, oh, other people will then, people will just go somewhere else and buy them. It turns out that when CVS stopped selling them, a lot of people just stopped buying them. Because they
0: weren't as accessible. Because there's a CVS like on every corner. Uh, Side note, don't ride elephants. They don't like it. I learned that when I went to Thailand. Nobody knows that. They don't like it. And it's just, as you're saying it, I feel like such a ditz because uh, when I scroll through Instagram, which is a problem and it's something I need to change, Uh uh, you see a lot of like fitness blogs and they talk about how it's like in the, like they do cartoons, like in the morning, I'm going to work out and eat healthy. And then by noon, you're like, okay, just a bite. And then by six, you're like, somebody kill me. I need candy. So yeah. those incremental changes a couple of weeks ago, I was like, I'm going to be a vegetarian and I'm done with sugar. And I did it for like two weeks. And then I was like, okay, I need to eat something, some meat. But I've really, other than the other day when I ate some cookies, cause my arm hurt so bad, it was like, that's a lot to take on dietary wise. And uh, yeah. I hadn't, but so I'm chipping away at it. It's okay to chip away at stuff. Adie Howard, Addie Howard says, what are the best ways to make a good first impression in different situations? Job interview, first date, making friends. Well, let's pick one.
1: I So I'm going to share one of the weirdest ways that researchers found to make a good first impression. And uh, you've acted in your fair share of films and skits and have you ever wondered why uh we like actors like Hugh Grant like the these like hapless idiots that we're kind of rooting for
0: um I know why but I would love to know why you why wh- what the real answer the, is <laughs>
1: it turns out that there's something called the pratfall effect
0: mm-hmm.
1: which is that when somebody's kind of clumsy um mm-hmm. uh, we don't feel threatened by them, so we start rooting for them.
0: Yes, the vulnerability. It's vulnerability, just like you were saying earlier. Uh oh, Go ahead.
1: So here's the weird thing that I do not recommend you do, but has actually been shown to work, which is uh researchers, I think it was they had people go in to meet uh, people. And then when they did, they accidentally spilled some coffee on themselves. Mm. and at the end of the interview or whatever, when they were done, the interviewers had to like rate them and people who spilled coffee on themselves actually rated higher. Okay. And that's because when you screw up just a little in a way that doesn't matter, humanizes
0: mm-hmm. you. It humanizes you. There's a vulnerability. This goes to um, why we always see attractive women falling in movies, right? She's always like clumsy. And I think it's different for men versus women. Um because Hugh Grant plays these characters that are kind of stutter-stammering and they're just very charming and they're in British, so it makes them inherently charming. I always take issue with it with women because it's this idea that if she's attractive, we can't possibly feel bad for her ever, so we got to take her down a peg. I've written about this. It was in a show that I wrote. This idea, it's always, the hot girl always falls into a bush. When's the last time you fell? Into a book when you were sober.
1: <laughs> what was it? Didn't it happen to Jennifer something, the actress, when she was
0: getting she, on yes. stage? She fell. She tripped. And whether it was planned yes. or not, I think she may have tripped. I mean, that's a gown. There's a lot of steps. But in like the holiday, like Cameron Diaz is very, like, oh my God, I'm all over the place. There is this thing where let's take a hot girl and, and have her equilibrium be off just enough that she needs saving. I could, I could mm-hmm. talk about that all day. Uh, it does bother me. Because I don't, I don't falter. Last
1: but it's question. it's also why people found like Zoe Deschanel's character in The New Girl, yes, like charming. If you were to actually spend a significant amount of time with a person who really acted that way in real life, that you would awful. want nothing to do with them. This
0: person can't—they like can't carry hot soup. She keeps falling. Yeah, it's,
1: it's just dangerous.
0: So, what's your answer? Best way to make a good first impression is spill boiling hot coffee on your crotch.
1: Yeah, <laughs> that yeah. nailed it. There it is. Um, so uh I think the the one of the things that I like to do uh to make a good first impression is I try to stand out in a novel way that's unique to me right so i i um you know when people say how are you doing?" I actually answer the question for real,
0: yeah,
1: I'll say like you know it's been a bit of a crazy day. I'm working on this, this, and this, I actually go into it and uh and I do that to show people that I'm, I'm actually listening. Mm. And then also to show that I'm, I'm doing something interesting or different. Like sometimes if I want to be really silly, people say, especially when I travel, uh, they'll ask me, where are you from? And I go, oh, I'm from a small island in the Northeast of the US. And they go, <laughs> oh, what island? I go, Manhattan. Have nah. you heard of it? And it's just to be like a little playful. but that's Just to kind of wake them up. Person. Yeah. And yeah. Be Like,
0: oh, I should listen. Interesting. Yeah.
1: And to, I want them to know that the conversation with me is not going to be like a conversation with anybody else.
0: Uh, you know what? I, I get that about you because it's a, when I talk to you, and I can't say the same for myself, like it's a real conversation. I believe you're listening. I believe you care. And I believe you have like a set of answers. I tend to forget to ask people how they are because uh, I kind of don't care. And they're probably lying. (laughs) But you're a genuine person. I've learned
1: so much about you today. I'm loving this.
0: Anne of Czar. This would not be an Ask Eliza anything without a wedding question. When it comes to decision-making for weddings, especially a postponed COVID wedding, what should be the main focus for deciding on what guests don't make the cut? Currently in the UK, the numbers are fluctuating between 6, 15, and 30. It... Is all slightly overwhelming, and I feel like I'm planning a few different weddings and scenarios for whatever the outcome will be. Sorry to bore you with the weddings and stuff, seeing as the end of the world is about to implode on itself. Um, it's probably the last thing anyone cares about. So I guess her question is, what's the decision making for weddings? What should be? She's asking what should be the main focus for deciding on what guests don't make the cut.
1: I I think the bigger question is why should any guests make the cut at all? Uh, oh. And you have to like start off the other way. Uh, So I've been, I'm married now. I was engaged previously and the wedding was called off. And what the planning of the first wedding taught me was that I was spending a lot of money to feed a lot of people uh, I didn't know meals I wouldn't get to eat uh, and do activities Mm. that I wasn't going to get to enjoy. And- uh Uh-huh. Yeah. uh Uh-huh. And- uh, the other aspect is that the moment that you call something a wedding, the price is like double or triple. So he, yeah. it's like just this stupid tax. So I think the question isn't uh, who do you have at your wedding. I mean, just you. In theory, you could just go to City Hall or whatever the equivalent is in, in England and just
0: you're... Barristers Row.
1: I don't is know. that really it? <laughs> no. Bar- yes. Will they have those wigs for the barristers? Yes. I love them. Solicitor's
0: qu- quarry. I don't know what they call it. So, anyway. uh, I
1: think the question is, what is it that you actually want? If you want to celebrate with people that you care about, then have a celebration two years in. If you want to just get married, then go get married. She wants. But,
0: she wants to have the wedding. Come on, John. She, she wants to have the wedding. So she's I. Gonna, she's going to have the wedding. So help her. <laughs> then.
1: Uh, then I think the the question is when you look back five years from now, who are you really going to want to see in those photos? Um, and who are you going to be so happy that was there to celebrate with you? And that's kind Can of...
0: Can I... Oh, go for that, that's a great no, No, that's a great way to look for look at it. My husband, who is not like a wedding planner dude, had the best piece of advice when we were getting married. And he said, when you turn around and, and discover that that person is standing there what do you want your emotion to be? Do you want it to be, oh my God, you're here. Or, hey, you made it. Yeah. You know, what do you, you want to be surrounded by people that you love being around. And I, it's tough because there is obligation. You do have to invite your Aunt Mimi because she was there for everything and she loves you, even though, you know, you don't feel connected. But the truth is, it's your money and it should be cut off if you don't care if the person's there. If your initial reaction is, I don't care and there's no real reason that your mom's like jamming down your throat, then... Nobody cares if they're invited by the way. nobody cares and if I, they do, they're a bad friend
1: i it's funny i uh I think it, weddings are hard. what's really interesting is i uh, I had the pleasure of um, being at a conference with this guy, Dan Ariel he's like a super famous behavioral economist and um, and he was asked uh, should I marry people and he's like, I don't know if you should marry somebody but then he was asked, mm-hmm. should I divorce somebody and he goes Again, I have no idea if you should divorce this person, but he said, this is the question I I pose people when they're thinking about it, which is, let's say tomorrow, you weren't married to your husband, Eliza. And you wake up with all the knowledge of what it would be to have been married to him, right? Like you have the memories of these several years, even though they technically, let's say, didn't happen. And you can't rely on memories. But let's just say, with everything (laughs) that you know about them, would you marry them again tomorrow?
0: Are you asking me? Of course. The answer is yes.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. And if the answer is yes, then it's a relationship that's worth having. And if it's the answer is no, then you should take a look at why you're still together.
0: Mm, that's tough. Yeah. So in answering your marriage question, uh, think more about divorce. <laughs> <laughs> Folks, uh, it's time for... Oh, well, go ahead. No, no. It, it's just, I think it's it's uh, an important
1: important question because I'm really happy with my choice. And I think you are too, in the sense that if, if it's somebody that you want to be married to tomorrow, that's a really exciting way to live. And, yeah. and I think that that's a very sweet context to life.
0: And I think that we've asked, answered a lot of, preemptively answered a lot of questions about divorce. So don't yeah. at me about your divorce questions now that you have it from the mouth of the horse scientist. And now- it's time for Top of the Cob. It's the top of the cob. We're doing it right. Every day, you just take a bite. Top of the cob. Actually, let's do bottom of the cob first so we can end on a positive note. What's your bottom of the cob? Same rules apply. Um, I, uh,
1: to be honest, I've, I've uh, been working like crazy hours. I've taken, I think, one or two days off since the beginning of sheltering at home. And I'm... Uh, um, a little burnt out and uh, need human contact, (laughs) frankly. Like, Mm. like I'm really desperate for some human contact.
0: Yeah. Um, Writing a book is so hard, especially like a real book, like you're writing. mm -hmm. It's so hard. It really is a killer. All right. So your bottom of the cob is that. My bottom of the cob is I hurt myself. Um, I hate... Nobody wants to hear about someone's back. I don't know if it's... uh, when I was on tour, my hands started hurting and then I was like, oh, I feel weird sleeping on my side and the last four days, my back has hurt. It's been so excruciating. I kind of stopped using my phone and I sleep on the floor and I've gotten multiple injections, multiple drug prescriptions and almost nothing has helped and uh, it's a really horrible way to live Um, and I'm in constant searing pain and that is what's happening with me. makes it very hard to do anything when you can't use all the muscles around your scapula. So, that's uh, lucky for me, there's no work happening because of a pandemic, so I can just sit still. I guess that's the top of the cup. What's your top of the cup, John?
1: Um, my uh, nephew recently moved to New York and is going to my alma mater, NYU. And it is so fun seeing how excited he is about doing things for the first time.
0: Oh, I love that.
1: And like, I've forgotten what it is to be like an awkward 18, 19 year old. And like, he went on, like, he hung out with some girl, and like, what should he do? And like, all that stuff is like new and different yeah. and scary and exciting. And it's fun for me because I get to experience it through his eyes.
0: I love that. I love that. I'm a baby bird. Uh, my top of the cob is um I sought out a better alarm company than ADT, who is right up there with Sprint on my list of companies that have underperformed that I have a visceral reaction to. Mm. Um ADT got so bad at one point that we contacted like they give you a bullshit number. You can't ever contact anyone. It's a total scam. Uh we found another alarm company and my house is now armed. To The teeth, we're talking like doomsday prepper. Mm. Um, you have the and bat I'm really cave. excited about you. Like, live in, the back. I, yeah. I got every I got lasers, I got cameras, I got a tinfoil hat. We have everything, and uh, I'm really excited about this new heightened level of security for a company that from companies not ADT.
1: That's awesome. I, I felt really good cape. about
0: exercising my choices. Yeah, you can live in the back cave. So your book is the two AM principle. Discover the science of adventure. You guys, I have read it, even though John thinks I haven't. Uh, I've done extensive research from the book because of another project. And um, if you want to know the science behind a good time, and break that down, it's also a beautifully designed book. Uh, You should check it out. Frankly, the book book. is
1: designed better than the writing. Uh, (laughs) The uh, and and if I can just quickly plug, I have my new book. You can find it on Amazon. It's called You're Invited. Um, and it's the Art and Science of Cultivating Influence. Uh, And I'm really, really proud of it. It's going in sale next year, but you can technically, I think, pre-order it now.
0: Okay. Well, you let me know when I can tell people, when I can uh, push it out for you. Um, You're one of the most fascinating people I know. I'm glad that we're friends. And his Instagram handle is John Levy J-O-N-L-E-V-Y-T-L-B. I don't know what the TLB stands for.
1: Uh, It's... uh, because I spent so much of my life living in a world of wonder and adventure, I wanted to be like the Lost Boys from Peter Pan and the Lost Boys. Oh, and so uh, the problem is okay. that John Levy is literally the most common name in New York. So, yeah. there's <laughs> I had to like come up with something ridiculous, and I didn't want it to just be like my month of birth, like everybody, right? Does. So John so just,
0: the Lost. He'll boy. Be. Oh, it stands for that. That's so cute. John Levy, the Lost Boy, uh, behavioral scientist, answer of all your questions, good friend to me and someone that I'm proud to have in my life. And if anyone has follow-up questions, I'm sure they can DM you. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. If, yeah, there you go. And thank you for being on the pod.
1: This was so much fun. Eliza, you're this incredible. This was so much fun. Thank you. Thank
0: you.